Bishop, thank you for this opportunity. You are my father, and I love you. And I thank you so much for being there every step of the way of this journey. I couldn't have chose, God couldn't have chose a better man of God to be in my life in this season. And I thank you for allowing me this opportunity, allowing God use you to think that I'm fit to stand back here to, to proclaim God's word and I just thank you to the lady of the house, Lady Carmen. I thank you for being a beautiful mom. And I honor you for that. To everyone in the building, I honor you. And I thank you for, for your prayers. I thank you for just your presence um, in this journey. Um, we're not going to tarry long. Um, those of you who have your Bibles this morning, or you can look at the screens, the monitors, we'll be coming from Second Kings, the fourth chapter. Second Kings, the fourth chapter. And for your for your listening and hearing this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 17. Slightly long, but I, I was a lot longer than what I had, so I cut it this, this short. I really believe that God wants to speak to us in a very mighty and powerful way. And I thank God. I thank God. Those of you that have it, say amen. And it reads on this wise. One day, Elijah went to Shunem. Shunem meaning their change in Hebrew, their change. A prominent woman of the city invited him in to eat. And afterwards, whenever he passed that way, he stopped for dinner. Verse 9 says that um, she said to her husband, I'm sure that this man who stops in from time to time is a holy prophet. Let's make a room for him on the roof. We can put a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, and he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Once he was resting in the room, he said to the servant Gehazi, Jehazi, tell the woman I want to speak to her. When she came, he said to Jehazi, tell her that we appreciate her kindness to us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or the general of the army? No, she replied, I'm 
perfectly content. What can we do for her? He asked Jahazi afterwards. He suggested she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elijah said, told him. When she returned, he talked to her as she stood in the doorway. Next year, about this time, you shall have a son. Oh, man of God, she exclaimed, don't lie to me like that. But it was true. The woman soon conceived and had a baby boy that following year, just as Elijah prophesied. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God, we thank you so much for these words, O oh God, that has been written, that were written in your holy script. And I just only ask that you will decrease me so that your Holy Spirit will continuously be increased. Oh God, let your people, let your sons and let your daughters under the sound of my voice, oh God, this instrument that you're using. Lord, I pray that you will proclaim and do and just have your way in this place. God, have your way in me. I yield myself totally to you to occupy this tabernacle. God, I thank you and I love you. And I give your name, glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to come from a subject. Make room for me, please. Make room for me, please. Make room for me, please. So about a month ago, when Bishop asked me if I would be willing to speak for the 11.30 a.m. service, I was beyond humbled and beyond honored. Yet, much what I'm feeling right now is a little nervous and a little bit of anxiety because when you get the word proclaimed and prophesied to you in the manner that this church gets the word and receives it, you just can't come up here haphazardly. <laughs> or, as I like to say, your sins will find you out up here. And so originally there was a word immediately as he asked me to speak and, and it was dropped in my heart to, 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 to preach it and to speak it. However, as the days and the weeks came by, <laughs> some things, God, God was doing some things within me um, that shifted me in the way that I, Sister Patrice, started forfeiting the fear of people started embracing the fear of God. And then last Sunday, confirmed the trajectory God was taking me 
when my good brother and friend Terry Policier wrecked us as he spoke about nations being in us and showed us the internal and external dynamics that were at play for Jacob and all who were involved. And my takeaway from that message last Sunday uh, was that there is a place that God is, is calling and challenging me to be. I can't speak for anyone else, but there's a place and a space that God is calling me and challenging me to be as the Spirit of God was just moving, as the Spirit of God just moved so densely in this place last Sunday. And all this week, all I could do and all I could reflect on and all I could do is just ask God, okay, God, what do I need to start doing in this, to start taking this journey to be in that mighty nation that you desire me to be? And then it became extremely, extremely clearer to me that the first step God wanted me to do was to start making room for him. To start making room for him. And so as we embark upon the dissection of this text, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that ordinary people in the Bible stood out because they made a conscientious decision to make room for God. People like David and Solomon as he was building the temple, blind Bartimaeus, people like the women, the woman with the issue of blood, and just so many countless others in the Bible. And led me also to this question, what room am I planning to make for God in the second half of 2018 that I was so unconscious about in the first half? And as we look at this story, we see Elijah, this, this prophet, uh, a world-renowned miracle worker, constantly visiting this town of, Shun, uh, of, of Shunem. And this is the same Elisha in 2 Kings 2 and 9 who asked his mentor, Elijah, if he could inherit, if he could inherit a double portion of his spirit before ascending to the heavens in the chariot of fire. Elisha. God is salvation. He carried the presence of God on him. He had direct communications with God in order to do the miracles like part waters and multiply food and raise the dead. And even when he died, there was his bones, his bones, his bones were so anointed that a dead man accidentally touched the bones 
and rose up straightway in the grave. That, that level, that magnitude of anointing and power that Elisha had. And so, so if you really wanted a miracle and if you really needed a miracle, Elijah was your boy. Elijah was your guy that you need to have in your back pocket. And the text says that the Shudamite woman often made a demand that Elijah would come to her house to eat bread while in town. And she constrained him, the word of God said, to come in her home so much that she turns to her husband and says, sure enough, this is, this is a holy prophet. Let's make room for him in our house. Why? Because she had spiritual perception. She was open. She was able to recognize that God was at work and and that through this man, he was doing, this ordinary man was doing some extraordinary things in Christ. God's presence, the presence that, that Elijah carried was, was tangible. She, she perceived, she, she had a knowledge of how to become intimately acquainted with the Spirit of God. So, so let's examine this Shunammite woman, if you, if you will. And as I said, Shunam means their change. This woman was notable. She was very wealthy. She had prosperity. She had everything. She was upright before God. She was all these things. And there seemed to be some suggestions from theologians that she was linked to this man, the Shudamite, in First King, the first chapter, the third verse, as being the sister, his, his sister. His name is Abihad. And, and so theologians seem to believe that this woman was, was, was 200 years old. She was 200 years old. This Shudamite woman, she did this. And so my takeaways in, in, in looking at this Shudamite woman like really did something for me. Number one, she was perceptive of, of what God was doing. She, in other words, she, she recognized the moment. She seized the moment. I don't think you realize this. She was intuitive that God was pronounced over this prophet and this miracle worker's life that she inconvenienced herself. <laughs> she really inconvenienced herself. She recognized the moment and she seized it. She seized it. Number two, there was a great hunger in her heart. She wanted the presence of God in her home and in her life. 
She wanted it. She wanted it so bad that she stepped out of character in the Hebrew times, in the times like women really were supposed to be silent. But it was very clear that she, she ran stuff in her house, even with her husband there. She went above and beyond to see that this man came to her house. And then number three, she was prepared. <laughs> it's the thing that really blessed me. She was prepared to pay a price for the prophet to come. She was prepared. She had to, y'all, she had to make some adjustments and modifications in her home and in her lifestyle and in her family lifestyle in order to accommodate the man of God to be in her house. I don't think you get it that in order to make room, you have to tear some stuff down. You got to tear walls down. You got to... The Bible says she tore some stuff down. She had to make some adjustments in her life in order to accommodate the man of God. Oh my God. She, to make room in her house means that she had to knock some things down, y'all, in order for it to be rebuilt again. Do, do you have that sense of hunger in your life that you're willing to make adjustments and modifications in your life just to make room, make room for God. The prophet Elijah was just going to walk by as he usually does, but she compelled him to come in she compelled him. She placed a demand and said, I want you to come to my house. And what I begin to learn more and more as I grow older, both naturally and spiritually, is that God loves it when you put a demand on him to come and just take total residence in your life. He does. You don't know what overcomes or what outcomes you will experience in place when you make demands of God to take residence in your life and in your heart. And because she had God's desires, God turned around and gave her her desires. And she said that she was all set. She didn't want nothing from him. Nothing. You know, I began to interpret that and just began to ponder that like now, I know if it was me, and some of us do, you know, when a man or woman of God, a prophet, a prophetic voice in the house comes, you do what you do to get what you can get. <laughs> 
because I need a word. <laughs> I need a word. She won't try to hear a word. She was just trying to make room. That's all she wanted. She just wanted his presence in her place and space. She didn't look at Elijah as some genie in a bottle scratching the lamp and hoping that the man of God, because I rendered unto you, I want you to render to me. No, she didn't play those games. She was like, I'm all set. I'm good. I'm content. I'm at peace with the state that I am because you're here in my house. That's all I need. That's all I want. So much so that the prophet had to pry around to inquire what does she really want because because of the fact that she was intentional and purposeful to have my presence here. Surely I got to give her something. Surely she's worthy of something. And then his, his assistant, Jehazi, said, you know, well, well, Elijah, you know she ain't got a child. And I just wondered, like, oh, my God. And I began to understand why she said what she said when, when Elijah called him back, called her back into the room that she designed for him, the same room that she made for him, came in the doorway and asked and told her this year around this time you are going to have a son and how her response wasn't like praise and worship her like uh uh don't you lie to me don't lie to me don't deceive me don't play with my feelings God because at the bottom of my heart, this is something that I long for, and it's already, I'm already 200 years old, and it ain't going to happen. Don't get my hopes up high. Don't make me take the risk to trust you. Because I can't bear, I can't bear the disappointment if I don't see it. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what I am going to do with myself if I make a conscientious decision to exercise in the action and make a futile exercise and demonstrate in a futile exercise of totally trusting you. Don't play with me. Don't do, don't lie to me in my house that I spent money and I went through a process to knock everything down and lost everything. Was willing to make accommodations just so that you can take residence and you're going to sit in my house and lie to me. You can hear my grandmother say, don't lie to me, boy. <laughs> my grandmother can't, couldn't stand liars. Don't, don't lie to me. You can do anything else, but don't lie to me. She did not 
want to hear it, y'all. She didn't want nothing but his presence. And instead, and as a result of her inviting the presence, she got a present. She didn't make room because she wanted and needed something in return. She did it because she really, really wanted him there in her house. She really wanted him there. And so, interestingly enough, I'm about done to say that so what does this making room for God looks like? Well, can I just share my testimony a little bit before I, I give some suggestions and some recommendations? So, so Sunday, last Sunday, after the powerful move of God, had, I was... I walked out of here like I, I I I just I didn't know if I was going to come in when I left out of here last Sunday. For those that didn't see it, y'all y'all go and look at it. Y'all go look at it. Shameless plug in. But God, while I was sitting right here on my knees, right here with my brothers, Irvin and Colin and Fred, as we were right here in this spot, God just started dealing, dealing with me. And I just want to say this, the pruning process, as a grandson of a tobacco farmer, in rural North Carolina. Let me tell you something about farming. Let me tell you something about the pruning process. It is tedious. It is taxing. It hurts. You cut and cut and cut and cut. And I just didn't understand. Like, nothing's wrong with this tree, Grandma. There's nothing wrong with this, Granddad. Like, why do we always every year have to cut these bushes and prune them? And all my grandmama can say was that, you have to prune these things so that it can grow fully. You can't, you can't grow properly. This plant can't properly grow effectively if every now and again it doesn't get pruned. God was doing a lot of pruning and purging through me as I was sitting there bearing witness and praying my brothers, all my brothers' breakthroughs. He was doing something in me to the point that after service, a certain person started delving a little bit, started goading me a little bit. Hey, beautiful. 
started pruning and started goading me about stuff. Stuff that was causing distractions that would not allow me to reach my maximum potential in Christ. And that in order for those things to happen, I got to get rid of stuff. I had to get rid of stuff. That meant a lot of the organizations that was finding myself, defining myself through these positions and all that that I was a part of, just, 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 that action was going on. To the point that Monday night, I had to, I had to expose myself on some wrongdoings to an organization that I served and gave everything in one fell swoop. Because when I say I'm over and God says you're done, you give everything that will not cause you to have to go back to that. I gave everything. Even at a cost that my reputation looks bad right now. But that's the cost of making room. It will change your social calendars. It will change your positions in society. It will cause you to that. But I didn't care about the positions. And I didn't care because God's peace was important to me. God's peace is the thing that he wants us to have. And that is the thing that is much more valuable than any sorts of status you can ever get. So I had to painfully give it up because I was associating a lot of myself with these positions. And God, last Sunday and all this week, just kept cutting and cutting and tearing down and demolishing stuff just so that he can be in a position to rebuild me. This was Monday. I'm not talking about something that happened 15 years ago or seven years ago. I'm telling you what just happened Monday after the powerful move of God that took place just last Sunday, a little less than seven days ago. And I've come to a point in my place in life that I'm sorry, but I really, really want all of God. All of them. And I also realized that I couldn't have all of him because I had stuff that I wasn't willing, really willing to purge. And so in order to have all of him, I had to give all my stuff up. Even if it meant exposing myself. Even if it meant my name being dirt. 
I had to get God's peace so that he can make room in my life. And I don't know if you're aware of the theme that is kind of going on here as we keep coming from Sunday to Sunday with these words. Like there's, there's a cookie trail that is happening. Talking about being a powerful nation. You, you can't really be a powerful nation with, with junk. You can't. You can't reach God's maximum when you have junk in your stuff. You can't constantly allow God to have residence in your house when you're still constantly going into the place where he's visiting and you have set aside for him and you haven't totally cleared everything out because you're constantly going there borrowing stuff. That's not a guest room. That's still your room. But you're loaning it to somebody. But I still have to go in there. And I'm like, no. I need to clear all this out so that he can have all of this, all of it, all. He wants it all. He wants it all. Y'all, this season is very real, and I'm not playing. I wish I can joke, I wish I could I, I really wish, but desperate times calls for desperate action, and I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of the same monotony of things. I, I really want to see God do some stuff like he did in the Word every time we read it. There were things that he was doing, but I realized that we couldn't, like these things can't really happen because we got some stuff that we're still holding on to, thinking that, oh, it's going to bless us. And like, no, it's a distraction. It's a hindrance. And God don't want you that. God wants you to forfeit it all, to have all of him. All of him. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? What does making room look like? First of all, making Jesus Christ a priority. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves people. He values them. He, he, he makes us unique. He created us with, with strong purpose in our lives. Whatever you were born to do, God assigned a season to do it. Yes, your life, your life. For you to discover the purpose and to feel and to fulfill that purpose, you must be connected to God. You must be connected to him. And even more so, even more so, 
And the thing that God is dealing with me in this season, you have to totally trust. You have to totally trust. You have to totally trust. It's one thing to have faith, and that's good. But to trust God? To trust him. Ah. Can't be distracted. You remember that story of Mary and Martha when Jesus was there and how Martha was just still busy cleaning up and doing everything and she had the nerve to get mad at Mary because she wasn't helping her out and Jesus had to check her. Like, you're doing too much. You're doing the most. Mary's doing exactly what I need for her to do. She ain't being distracted. She's not being distracted. She's here and she's receiving that which I'm giving her and asking her, I'm filling her. What, what does making room for God look like? Another thing that God gave me as, as a recommendation is to develop clear faith goals. You know, Proverbs 29 and 18 says that where, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know, we, we, have to, we have to have a clear vision, God's vision, to where he wants us to go and be. An example of that that spoke loud to me was Nehemiah. You remember how God strategically gave him like a step-by-step of how to rebuild the walls? Yeah, that's, that's how developing clear faith goals look like. Another thing is, is, is speak life, giving words. Proverbs talks about in Proverbs 18 and 21, that, that, that death and life is in the power of the tongue. We got to constantly speak life in the atmosphere, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't see anything moving. We have to speak life to that. We have to learn to speak words that imparts life and encouragement and appreciation. We have to learn how to do what Hebrews 10 and 23 tells us to do is to let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. That's what we have to do. Y'all remember Caleb when he went on the other side? And everybody was like, oh, we can't possess the land. But Caleb was the one that was like, oh, we can take this. We can take this. I don't care about the giants over there. But we can take this. We can take this. That's what we're talking about when you're speaking life. You're speaking life-giving words. You're saying stuff like, I can take this. I, I'm more than a conqueror. That's, that's what that is. Another recommendation, cultivate vital relationships. I'm thinking about Proverbs 27 and 17 where it says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. 
shameless plugins for, for small groups. We learn in isolation, but we grow in community. I'm going to tell you something very interesting about Monday, about me exposing myself. How about in the midst of me exposing myself in Panera Bread of all places? Because I was like, this got to get done today, but I'm scared. But wouldn't you know it that as I begin, God had me to expose myself and turn stuff in, and after everything was said and done, lo and behold, just by divine order, I turn around and who do I see? I see a group of members from my small group in Panera Bread. <laughs> Impromptuly shows up. Because just like me, God was talking to them about Sunday. And it kind of came to that same conclusion. And I remember going to the table after I did what I did and I just, I just cried. I just, I just cried. But, but check this out. Shay, Shay's my witness to this because if she was one of those people that impromptuly came to Panera Bread without no one had conversations about going to Panera Bread yet we were there and in the midst of the small group praying over me guess what else happened there were two Bible studies going on in, in Panera Bread and saw us Two Bible studies and a small group going on. Shay, am, am I lying? Am I, am I lying? I, okay. Two Bible studies in subsequent areas of Panera Bread and us, the impromptu small group. Them praying over me because that pruning process was hard. It caused me to do something that I was trying to hide from. And the interesting thing was that they came over as they were praying. And as I was praying and just weeping, I hear some of those groups saying that, yeah, I saw him over there in that corner. And we didn't know what was going on, but his countenance suggests that, oh, we need to pray for him. And then we finish Bible study and we see that he's laid head on the, on, the, on the table. And those two Bible study groups combined with my small groups was in the middle of Panera Bread praying. And it got to a point like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't care about my appearance. I don't care how I look. I don't care how it may seem. I want to be free and I want your peace, God. I need your peace, God. I want all of you. I don't want to be shortchanged anymore. I don't 
I can't afford to. It costs too much. It costs too much to be sitting here and playing these games. I need and want all of you, God. I really want you to take residence in my house. I need you. In the middle of Panera Bread, in the public, two Bible study groups that didn't know each other and a small group, as all of this was going on, they all around me in the middle of Panera Bread calling the name of Jesus to make room in the places and in the space that I decided a few hours prior to give up. Oh my God. Get your small groups, get your small groups, get your small groups. You ain't got enough power to do it by yourself. because I was one who was very leery about small groups, myself, but I'm a believer. And I think because by God's grace, God had put me in a place where he's made me open. Just open, just open, just wide open. Get your small groups, get your small groups, get your small groups. This ain't no shameless plug-in. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's just what it is. You don't know how much you've grown unless you're around community. It's the litmus test, y'all. It's the litmus test. And what I realized by being in my small group is like I'm nowhere near where God wants me to be. In essence, I was really perpetrating the fraud, just looking nice and going, still going through antics. And God just want us to be real about our stuff. Just real. He wants us to be real because he desires to us to walk in the liberation, his liberation, his freedom. He does. Yes. Another thing. Recommendations. You ain't got to follow them. What making room look like? Kind of alluded to it earlier. Got to step out your comfort zone. You have to step out of your comfort zone. This transformation that you see here required a level of me stepping out of what I knew into something that I did not know, but I had these control issues because I had to know what's going on. And if I didn't know what was going on, guess what? I'm staying put until someone tells me. I'm not moving until somebody says something to me 
leap of faith, trust, uh-uh, not without some directions, not without seeing some stuff. I ain't moving. What happens if I die in the process? I ain't, no, 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 no. that's foolery. No, no, no. Trust, move, without knowing what's going to happen? No. Because my safety is important to me, God. God had to break it down to me who you think created this whole safety thing. Who you think created safety, invented that thing? Didn't you say you were for me? Didn't you say you were in me? I don't know why you're tripping out about safe, you know? Do you not know that your my rod and my staff, they comfort you? Don't you, don't you know that? You have to stay, you have to, you have to walk out your comfort zones. You have to run, you have to, you have to walk, you have to run out your comfort zones. And then, the last thing that I want to suggest is that you have to pursue personal breakthroughs. You have to pursue intentionally personal breakthroughs. Hebrews 12 and 1 says it best that let us lay aside every weight and the sin and the sins that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We all have a race to run, but you have to understand and know that you have victory. You walk in God's victory. You walk in God's victory. Yeah, you walk in God's victory. I'm about to make another suggestion and recommendation about what makes, what does making room for God look like? Something that this church do prayer, do, 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 do good. Y'all, we have, we have to pray. We have to have a very strong prayer life. Shameless plug-in for morning prayer. Have mercy, Father. Let me tell y'all the goings-on in morning prayer. Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Morning prayers. I was a skeptical. I was a skeptic. Now I'm used to getting up in the morning. Again, I told you all, I'm a grandson of farmers, and so we get up before daybreak. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to getting up, but really starting your day at church, I've seen miracles beyond miracles unfold before my eyes. 
not only in other people, but in me. This transformation that you see right now, and I wish I had the before and after pictures, oh God, from the time I came here March 20th, 2011, up until this point in time, I really wish I could just show to you all on the screens what my before and after look. I look nothing like you see now. Absolutely nothing like you're seeing right now. But that came also at a cost. I had to be willing to step out of my comfort zone and had to get rid of some pride. Is this microphone on? I had to get rid of some pride. Is this microphone on? I had to get rid of some pride and get over myself because God had to tell me and show me that the way up was down. The way up is down. And morning prayer provided that space and place. Without the music, without the crowds, although I'm believing that morning prayer is going to be busting out the seams. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see police details coming during morning prayer. I see it, I see it, I see it busting through the seams. People traveling far and wide from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and Rhode Island and Vermont and all these places to 77 Columbia Street. I just need to be in the house because I need God. I see it. I see it and I feel it. And whenever I come to morning prayer, y'all, I, I treat it as if there's a lot of people there. I still praise and I still pray as if I'm at, a, at, at, at both services on Sundays. That's my attitude. That's my posture. It's not, it's not some, oh, well, not a lot of people here, so I can't do, like, no, that I, I go full throttle. Will you make room for him today? Will you make room 